We're in the second week. Last week we kicked off our Bar Napkin Gospel Series. We're in the, the second week. And, um, and I'm going to tell you today in advance that uh, I am going to be, we're going to be blazing through Scripture. Okay? So some of these passages of Scripture you may want to write down and visit them later. And other passages um, I'm going to ask you to join me. And if you're quick and you want to turn over there, some of them I'll expound on. And so I want you to take your time and, and turn over to those passages of Scripture. I'm, I'm one of those guys that I like for you to see it for yourself. You know, it's one thing for me to tell you what the Bible says. It's another thing for you to see it for yourself in the context in which it was written. And so I want to always encourage you to do that. Life in Christ. What are the priorities? You know, our vision, as I said to you last week, is life in Christ for every Alaskan and the world beyond. That's our vision. You see it every week that you come. It's right there in our bulletin, and I try to keep it in front of you all the time. Life in Christ for every Alaskan and the world beyond. What, what, what does that mean? How does it play itself out practically? Well, in this message series, what I want to do with you is I want to provide you with a simple explanation for what life in Christ actually is, an explanation that you can get your arms around and your, your head around and your, and your heart around so that you can clearly explain what life in Christ is to others, clearly communicate it. And I want it to be so simple that you'll be able to do it on a little, small, tiny bar napkin. Simply. In a coffee shop, having coffee with someone. Okay? And so we've titled this series The Bar Napkin Gospel, and, and this week is week two of that series. You know, last week what we did was, was we talked about the message of salvation. We set a real strong foundation for, for the gospel of Jesus Christ and took you all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 and what happened there and why we needed a Savior. You know, I told you last week that, that man reached out was influenced not to trust God and reached out on his own and took by force what God really wanted to give him by faith and by trust. And so we found ourselves in need of a Savior. Nothing, nothing, nothing could suffice. And so Jesus Christ came and and he, he lived a life, and then he bled and died, and he was crucified, and he was raised again from the dead. And everything that we needed for our salvation was accomplished in him. And I talked to you about what it means to enter life in Christ as we repent and go to the cross and recognize the work on the cross. This week, I want us to begin to think about the ongoing process of living out the gospel in our lives incarnate. What does that look like? And so we begin today with a question of priorities. If we're to live the life that Jesus Christ actually lived, we need to stop and consider how he actually lived that life, don't we? And so, and so we need to ask the questions, what, what were the, the passions and the, and the priorities that fueled Jesus' life? Because if we're really going to experience life in Christ, we're going to have to compare how we live, our passions and our desires and our priorities, and line them up with his. You know, when you look at life in Christ, 
you see that Jesus was deeply motivated by the wonder and by the value that, that we find in relationships. And last week, we saw a picture of three unique relationships that Jesus constantly pursued. The first relationship was his relationship with his father. The second relationship was the relationship that he enjoyed and shared with a small band of men and women who were, who were close to him. He had 12, and then he had three in his inner circle, and they were close to him. They lived with him. They, they followed him. They patterned their life after him. Then there was his relationship with the lost, the reason why he came to seek and to save those that were lost, to give us the, the opportunity to be saved. Relationship was the passion that fueled Jesus' life. And as a matter of fact, I'd say that his entire life really is, was a reflection of the relational priorities that are outlined for us in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. I want you to turn there. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. If you... Uh, you don't have to turn there today because some of you probably won't be able to find it. I know I was, it was kind of tough to find. It's a little small book. Some in my Bible, it's on page 1059. That book, this, this, this passage really outlines the priority that God has given man to live by. And this is what it says. Before I read, let me set some context for you. You know, it, it, God had, had, had given some indictments to the children of Israel. They had time and again gone back from their relationship with God and went back into the world and went back to worshiping idols and all those things that we see time and again in the Old Testament, right? And so God had levied some indictments on his children, and they, they came to the prophet in the land, the prophet Micah at the time, and they said, they said to him, so what are we supposed to do to fall back into good graces with God? And I'm going to tell you, if, if, if Micah was here, I believe that he would say something like this. Come on, man. How many times have I have to, has God had to show you what real relationship looks like? Then Micah writes this. He's told you. Oh, man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? He's told you already. So when you look at this passage, you see three clear, crystal clear relational priorities that jump out. And all three, I'd say, are equally important, all three. And so what I want you to do is I want you to think of them uh, in terms of a of an equilateral triangle, equal sides, equal angles, three distinct points of relationship. Each one, watch this now, equal in priority. So the first priority is the, is the up priority, all right? And so Micah says to walk humbly with your God, the up priority. Here's what I want you to know. It didn't say walk humbly behind your God. You can say, walk humbly underneath your God. It says, walk humbly with your God. And so to walk humbly with God really requires something of us. It requires that we let 
go of our, our own personal agendas. To walk with God means that we walk in God's direction. We walk on the path that God has for us. We walk in pace and cadence with him, keeping up with God and, and, and walking with him, not trying to get ahead of him, not lagging behind him. We let him determine the path and the pace on the path which he wants to take us. Walking in humility values our relationship with God more highly than it values our own agenda family. You know, I, I, mo- uh, many of you actually know that I was raised in the country, man. I was raised in North Pole, Alaska, right? And uh, when you live in the country, you walk everywhere that you have to go. And we live like deep, deep far in the backwoods, man. We live like in the wilderness, right? We live like three and a half miles down a road that was like five miles from the nearest town, North Pole, and then a mile and a half back in the woods, all right? We know what it was to walk. Listen, we had to walk. If we had to go to our brother's house, we had to walk. If we had to go to the barn, we had to walk. If we had to go to the fields, we had to walk. Everything was about walking, right? We had to walk to the bus stop. Now, you probably, you probably say, well, Pastor, that's, I mean, we walk to the bus stop all the, all the time. That's no big deal. It is when it's a mile and a half. We had to walk a mile and a half to the bus stop, man. And, and in, the, in the spring and in the fall was when we had to walk. And I got to tell you, man, when you walk that long and, and that's just how you live, you walk with intentionality. I learned to walk with intentionality, man. You know, so I had younger siblings that, that would walk with me, and I was kind of responsible for them, you know. And, uh, and in the fall especially, there'd be, like, rose hips on the side of the, of the road, and they'd want to take a little trail and go off and get some rose hips. There'd be blueberries that would be blossoming. They'd be, I mean, not the little bitty blueberries. Yeah, I'm talking about the big, thick, juicy blueberries that when you eat them, they're kind of, you know, they got the red stuff on the inside. It's kind of, and your whole turn, your tongue turns purple. You know what I'm talking about? Those blueberries, the good ones, right? We had those. And, and, and so most of the time, I was on a mission, man. I had to get home. I had a date I had to go on. I had chores I had to do before I could go on the date. So I was on a mission, right? They wanted, my siblings wanted to stop and eat blueberries or rose hips or cranberries. Ain't nobody got time for that. They had time for that, man. I, I was on a mission, very, very intentional. And walking's not an effective way to get somewhere if you have an agenda. It really isn't. But if I can let go of my agenda, and if I can, if I can walk in humility, simply valuing being with someone, it changes the whole nature of the journey. I remember the times where the sun would be shining and, and I didn't have anything to do. And so I would walk with my brothers and sisters and, and some of the neighbor's kids. And we would just walk on that journey. We would talk perfect cadence and pitch to our walk and pace. And sometimes we'd stop and we'd eat those blueberries and we'd venture off into the woods and, 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 uh, and eat those, those cranberries or raspberries or rose hips. We got to know each other. And in that, we began to trust each other, and God began to knit our hearts together a little tighter as we walked this journey. And you know what? I talk to my brothers and sisters all the time now. We have lasting memories as a result of it. 
Jesus walked that way in humility with his Father. Letting the Father choose the path. Letting the Father choose the pace. Letting the Father choose the direction in which he was to go. The Father said it. The second priority we find in Micah is the end priority. And that speaks to the relationship Jesus had with those he shared his life with, those that that were closest to him, those who knew him, hung out with him, shared in both his suffering and shared in his joy. The word that, that describes this relationship in Micah, the word kindness here, some of your Bibles translate it, translates it to, to mercy. But the word literally means covenant loyalty, faithfulness to, to a commitment or, or a promise. And so when the word occurs in the Hebrew scripture, it's speaking and referring to the faithfulness that God has with his covenant people, those who he loves and those who love him in return. Kindness is a commitment that we have as a family not to give up on one another. It's a commitment that focuses on what families are meant to be. Both naturally and spiritually, we learn to forgive. We, we learn how to resolve conflicts with each other, how to defend each other and encourage each other. We learn how to laugh and to celebrate together, how to suffer and cry together, to be family no matter what. That's what this means. Jesus had a handful of those relationships. He chose 12 that he committed to, and three that he was really deeply committed to, and he fully trusted, and he invited every one of them, the 12, the three, into his life, into every part of his life, and then he challenged them to walk with him just as he walked with the Father. Jesus remained faithful to them in kindness, in this covenant loyalty, even when they betrayed him, even when they deserted him, Jesus got up from the table to go away, and Jesus called him friend. That's the kind of covenant loyalty that Micah is talking about here. The third priority of Jesus was with his out relationships. His out relationships was with the world that did not know him yet, so certainly they couldn't trust him. And it's what Micah had in mind when he said to do justice. It speaks to our relationship with the world. Jesus' life was all about bringing people who were oppressed and and enslaved, who were in bondage to the consequence of sin. It's all about bringing reconciliation to those relationships. And everything he did was leveraged at, at releasing people and setting the captives free from the tyranny of sin. Justice was no more important in his relationship than his relationship with his father. Nor was it more important than his covenant relationship with family. None of them were less important. They all were equally important. Just as important as justice. As a matter of fact, justice was the overflow of those relationships. I talked about that last week. Jesus wanted everyone to experience the the thickness and the richness of life that God had intended for us to enjoy when he originally created us. Richness in relationship with one another and richness richness in relationship with him. Speaks to the presence of God. 
presence was Jesus' passion. God's presence both in his life and his relationship with Jesus or his relationship with the Father and his relationship with those in his community and his relationship with those in the world. Presence. Jesus loved being in the presence of God, but Jesus also loved the fact that he knew that we were created to enjoy that same relationship. We were created to live in the presence of God. We were created to to live in the context of loving, affirming community where there's loyalty and trust and truth with each other. Presence. Jesus knew that. So Jesus' love for the Father and his love for relationships actually set the tone for the practices in his life. Jesus gave himself to his friends, to the world, constantly challenging his fathers to imitate him and grow in their relationship with God and in their relationship with others. But but to live in the presence and and to practice living a God-focused life was not enough for Jesus. Every single thing that Jesus did, every single thing that he did on this earth, listen to me, was on purpose. It's on purpose. He was a man on a mission. And his mission was more important than his own life. Jesus came to demonstrate what the love of God actually looked like for us, the love that that we had lost sight of, that we weren't experiencing. So he came to show us the love that the Father has for us and then to call us into that love. And though his life was short, he lived in his relationships in the rich, thick relationships, and he modeled those, that relationship with us, and that became his purpose. Life lived in rich, thick relationship and community with God and with others. And it's a life that he describes as, as an abundant, abundant and eternal life. And it's the life that he calls us to and the life that our vision actually expresses when we say life in Christ for every Alaskan and the world beyond. So let me put it in in some, some more similar or familiar terms for you that have been around here for a while. These terms will be familiar for you or to you. In Psalms 16, the psalmist writes this. He says, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God invites us into his presence. He's fully present in me, but watch this now. In a more greater way, in a much greater way, he's fully present in us. I can enjoy him as I worship him alone, but I'm telling you, when we learn how to worship him and be with him and experience his presence together in us, in community, it's a powerful thing, man. And so, sure, I have eternal life. I know I do, but, but that's not enough because, and I, I know I belong to God, but I also belong to you. You're part of my family through covenant relationship purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We belong to each other. 
What God has given me, he has given you. And what I have, you have. And what you have, I have. That's what this is supposed to be. Now, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but my wife's been out of town for, um, for about eight days. And, um, you know, I had someone invite me over to their house for dinner because they probably thought the brother was starving. And it was really cool because, you know, I got to their house and, and, and their daughter opened the door and she welcomed me in with this big smile on, on, on her face. And, and, and Mama was upstairs in the kitchen. She was cooking. I don't even know what that stuff was. It was awesome, whatever it was. I can't even tell you what it was. It was, it was, a, it was a, I don't even know what it was. It was just delicious, I can tell you that. But the first thing that they said to me when I walked in was, Mi casa su casa. You know what that means? It's, a, it's, a, it's an informal Hispanic term that means my house is your house. What I have, you have. Everything in it that belongs to me belongs to you. And, 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 and as a result of that, I said, su casa, which means same thing. Man, when you come to my house, everything that I have belongs to you. So I sat down, and it was an expression of, of, of this family saying, hey, delight in what God has done to bless me. I want to bless you with that. So enjoying God means, family, that I get to celebrate. We get to celebrate the success and delight ourselves in the successes that God has, has, has brought into the lives of those who are in relationship with us to the glory of our great God. But at the same time, we, get, we have the awesome privilege and opportunity to be able to enter into suffering with our brothers and our sisters. And it gives us an opportunity when we do that to extend the grace and the mercy and the love, the same grace and mercy and love that God extended to us. See? But now listen, for us to aspire to live that way is so totally countercultural to our culture and to the world that we live in. Because especially in Alaska, often our independent spirits rob us of the opportunity to be able to experience life and community in that way. That deep joy that's produced as we bear one another's burdens and as we share each other's joys. The world teaches us to be self-centered, self-sufficient, self-protected, self-providing, self-dependent, self-ambitious. And even when we give ourselves away to another, it has to be planned. It has to be convenient. Time has to be measured. It has to be affordable. In other words, something in there has got to be for me. It's got to benefit me, Right? But listen, if we're not careful, what will end up happening is we'll end up celebrating by ourselves and suffering by ourselves. And I'll tell you something, in our self-dependent culture, we run the risk of being very affluent but very much alone. Had a conversation with a guy on the phone this week. It was sad. A year and a half ago, I tried to, to convince this man to change his life, and he chose not to. So he calls me up this week, and he says, he says, Pastor Greg, I know you tried to tell me a year and a half 
ago that I need to change my life, but I've been so bent on doing my life my way on my own terms that I've ran every single person away from me. And now I'm dying of stage four cancer. And I'm scared I'm going to die alone. It's sobering. It's sobering, and that's not God's idea for us for being full of joy. In his presence, there's fullness of joy, and at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. It's not God's idea for us. God's presence in our lives shows us a better path of life. And that's what he wants for us. Now, concerning our practice of life in Christ, the writer in Hebrews writes this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. He says this, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Here's the point. There's more to life in Christ than just merely living a, a life that's forgiven. Merely knowing that you're going to die and and go to heaven and spend eternity with Jesus. There's more to life than that. As a matter of fact, I'd say this. The good stuff, I mean mean the good, rich, thick stuff that we get to enjoy are for those whose powers of discernment are trained by constant practice. Those that aren't willing to settle for mere forgiveness and want their lives to be an outward expression of their transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'd even say this, the major difference between today's Christian and being a follower of Christ is what truly takes place on the inside of us. It's it's a transformation that takes place on the inside and, and expresses itself on the outside. And so what I've learned is that there are two different terms, and they carry two different implications. And here's the terms. First, I'm a Christian. I'm I'm, I'm today's Christian, right? I have a, a religious persuasion. I've altered my life. I've changed my routine a bit. I I have a brand new system, and it gives me the ability as a Christian to hang out with with people that I love, come to church on Sunday morning. It's an alternative lifestyle. It's totally different from being a follower of Jesus Christ. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, it means that a coup d'etat is taking place in our heart and in our souls. Jesus Christ has taken over, and he's dethroned our self-centered mind, our self-centered attitude, and he's replaced our life with his life. It means that by the grace of God, he's broken through and displaced whatever has been ruling our lives, and he's placed himself on the throne of our lives as our new leader. He gives us a reason to live, gives us a reason to serve each other. And here's what we can expect. As we follow his lead, he will transform our lives. He will change our lives and transform it. 
And as we learn to enjoy God's presence and practice a transformed life, Jesus pulls us into the wonder of his purpose. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, says this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Enjoying God and being transformed, practicing a life of transformation, pulls us into our calling our purpose, which is to demonstrate the heart of Jesus Christ, to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ to the world that we're in. That's why we're here. That's why we're disciples of Christ. And so to that end, Jesus says this. He says, listen, I'm going to give you some things as my disciples. He says, the first thing I'm going to give you is resources. All authority. Everybody say all authority. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, and now guess what? I'm going to give it to you. Go in my authority. Teach and baptize in my name. He says, I'm going to give you a promise, a promise that I'll never leave you. I will always be with you. I will walk with you. I'll go ahead of you sometimes and make the path straight for you, for you to follow me. He says, I'll give you purpose. Practice my commands. Teach others to do the same. Show them how to live the same life. In other words, make disciples that make disciples. That's why we're here, and that's our purpose. And when we fulfill our purpose, it does two things. First of all, it keeps us dependent on God's presence. Because what we realize is that we cannot do it without his authority, and we cannot do it without each other. And then it keeps us practicing transformation. And the people that are around us that will see and experience transformation as we're going through it, it'll speak to them. It'll be a testimony to them. And so this passage for us becomes more than just the way we live our lives, it's a total makeover of our lives. It's impossible for us to live a life and accomplish God's purposes without that makeover, without understanding that others are also involved. We can't do it alone. And if we try, what we'll find is that it's too hard, that it's, it's too constant, the warfare. It's too challenging. It's too transcendent. And that we'll find that God has designed us to pursue this life together with each other. Shared priorities of the up and the in and the out. Shared passions for enjoying God fully and practicing a life of transformation and then demonstrating our purpose, what he has called us to, to the world around us. And now let me say this. Not everyone can share that life. Not everyone can. Because if you're not experiencing life in Jesus Christ, you, it's impossible to give it away. You can't share it with anyone else. 
And so it forces the question that I began with. What were the priorities and passions of Jesus in his life? Because if we're going to experience life in Christ, true life in Christ, we're going to have to compare our passions. And we're going to have to compare our priorities to see if they line up with the passions and the priorities of Christ. Worship team, you can come forward. Come up to the stage if you would. I want to close our time today by reading a passage to you. It's a prayer out of Ephesians. Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. And it's a reminder of us to keep, our, to, to, to keep tabs on our passions, where we're at. Are our passions weak? Are they unbalanced? Because they will be if they're not in line with what God wants for us, family. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter, four, chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. It's a prayer. And it's a prayer that, that, that we will capture the priorities and the passions of Christ, but even more importantly, that those passions, these passions will capture us. This is what Paul writes. He says, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we take a look at ourselves today. That we'll, we'll, we'll judge ourselves and see where we're at in our relationship with Jesus and, and see if our passions line up with his. To see if our priorities line up with his. To see if our reservoir of, of joy is full and complete to see if we are really truly living truly transformed lives and that the fruit of our lives aren't the fruit of ourselves but the fruit of our lives is reminiscence of the fruit of the spirit your spirit and when it is we will live a life that will be full and it will be satisfying to us and it will honor you. So may it be so as we determine if our priorities are lined up with yours. In Christ's name, amen.